This week on the Reinforced Running Podcast, we have Johnny Luna Lima. Johnny is an OCR athlete and a coach who had a massive leap last year in the, on the performance side of things. And in the episode, we talk about everything that has really led him to this point as an athlete. And it c- includes how to progressively improve your downhill running. And, and we span on a lot of ranges here, speaking from his his experience as an elite athlete and also from some of the athletes that um, he's has experience working with. So a wide range of how you can progressively improve on those things. Um, the best way of tackling your weaknesses and how you should approach development in your performance. And also about how your ego can really be the worst enemy that you're facing in your training and performance. So there's a ton of great insight. He's an awesome athlete, awesome guy. I really enjoyed the conversation. I think you're really going to like it as well. And uh, I just want to say thank you again for listening. And if you like what you're hearing, drop us five stars. Give us a shout for a review. And, you know, maybe we'll read on the show. We got, this week, our review of the week comes from friend of the show and former guest Nick Reichert. He gives us five stars, which is so nice. Thank you, Nick. That's great. And the title of the review is Rich and Josh. You know, that's us. That's HHMC. And it goes on. It says, you guys are some bros, quote, end quote. Here is Johnny Luna Lima. Johnny Luna Lima, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, how are you doing? Stoked to be on the show. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm really excited that we made this happen, and I'm excited to talk about some of uh, your your training regimen and, and kind of how you approach things with your athletes in, in terms of volume and, and recovery, and also the nutrition aspect. We're gonna do we're gonna do the whole thing, but first, my question to you is is an easy one. What's your favorite movie of all time? Oh, favorite movie? Um, I'm pretty big into just, I guess, war movies like Lone Survivor, American Sniper. Those are pretty sweet. But then lately, well, not too long ago, I watched the movie Rush, uh, the Formula One movie. And that was awesome. I was it? Loved that. Yeah. Yeah. I was sitting on the couch of Hunter and he just put it on. And I was like, this is the greatest movie ever. I'm so into this. <laughs> That, yeah. that's interesting. It's like along, uh, like I never thought I would like, um, movies like that or anything. that's like high energy type of movies. But I recently, I recently saw, um, Mad Max Fury Road. Have you seen that oh, yeah. one? No, never. It, it's unbelievable. It is so yeah. good. And, and I didn't think I would like it at all, but I, I was blown away. So maybe, maybe that's the next one you should check out. Yeah. Uh, but, I'll take a look at that. Uh, I never, I've never seen Rush, so I'll, I'll do the same. I mean, we have time. So I really like Rush because it just shows like the dynamic of like different athletes. Um, so that's pretty cool to see. Do you think if you saw that before OCR, you wouldn't you wouldn't get it? And now you're an OCR athlete and you're thinking about it in, in terms of an athlete? Well, before OCR, I played soccer. And like in soccer, you have like the playboys that love to party a ton and just like they're they just play. And then you have like the other ones that take it super serious and um which is essentially what goes on in Rush. You have like one dude that's just like doesn't care. He only cares about partying and driving hard. And the other dude is like drive really hard, know everything about everything. And that's it. Nothing else matters. Isn't it? And that's such a, it's so interesting that it's that way. And there's like different ways to success and people might find success in any way that they, that they approach it. So it's hard to take what any specific athlete does and emulate that because it, people would reach success in different paths. Oh yeah. And like certain success paths are like just so hard to copy. Like if you go and just replicate another athlete's training, 
like that can just destroy you within a month. And yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to do that. And that's something I always warn people against is like, yeah, I saw this person posted this crazy workout, but they've also been doing crazy workouts like that for 10 years. So you trying to do something like that won't make you better. It won't make you like them. It's probably going to get you hurt and just screw up your training pretty bad. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if you won $10,000 and you, but you only, but you had to spend it in one day, what would you buy? It's not a ton of money, some money, but not a ton of money. Oh, I know what I'd get. I'd fund a expedition to like Ecuador or like the Himalayas or something like that and just climb a ton of mountains, do something. Mm. That yeah. That's the way to go. Just go on, on, on a trip. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that would buy a good chunk of your gear and your flights. Are, yeah. Yeah. I'd probably do that. That'd be the way to go. Cause that gear is, would be a hang up, right? I'm sure you could rent it, but like, it would be nice to, to have it. Right. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, having the gear is just huge because it's expensive stuff. Oh, sorry. That's, that's definitely the way I would go about it. I mean, I've been thinking about taking a trip to Ecuador just to learn how to climb bigger, like big mountains for so long. Um, so if someone gave me 10 grand, it would be that it's, I'd spend it so fast on that. <laughs> then you're going, you, you already have yeah. it lined up. Yeah. Is that the, like, I don't, I'm not a mountaineer in any sense. Like I barely run them. I don't have them that, that close to me. But like, when you talk about climbing mountains in gear, like what is, and just running them. like, so do you climb mountains in Colorado or are you mostly running trails? Um, I run a lot of trails and then I scramble a couple times a week. So I live in Boulder. So we have just, we have the flat irons there. They're just, she's, these massive like rocks that just jut out like from the mountains (laughs) and uh, a big thing in Boulder is scrambling. It's essentially like easy climbing, but with no gear, you're just essentially in like sticky running shoes or approach shoes and you just climb the rock and you go. And that's something I've been getting into a lot more lately. It's just one of the, like, I'd love to like, just do it a ton but like there's a learning curve to it and you just got to respect the mountains and it, it just suck to be that guy that gets stuck on something really hard that he can't down climb. that um, would really suck <laughs> yeah. yeah um but i mean now that we're getting into summer i'm definitely gonna do more stuff up high uh especially that i'm a good pl- i'm in a good place with my body and my training volume like it gives me some wiggle room to like just go on like long mountain adventures um and not have to worry about being destroyed for like a week so i'll start definitely mixing in some like run climb a ridge line run back type thing um and 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 when you do the scrambling is it for more of like exploring and being out in in nature and on the mountain or is there a a, a physical benefit and like a training component to it um, well, it's definitely like, first off, like you scramble because you enjoy it. Um, I wouldn't recommend anyone to scramble because it's good for fitness because it's just like, it's a high risk endeavor. Um, <laughs> Do you don't want to rush it. I wouldn't, it's not say a high risk. It's high consequence. Um, uh, but like, yeah, I mean, I, I like throw it into the middle of my run sometimes, or like lately I've just been going out for hikes and, um, just scrambling and getting to know the mountains. Um, but at some point I do want to integrate it, uh, into my training on a, just like a couple times a week, but like, I'm not at the point yet with a flu, like I'm not fluid enough. Um, 
over the rock that I could um, integrate it uh, just into training on a daily basis. Like I just don't know the rocks well enough yet. Right. So you'd have to go pretty slow and be careful and it wouldn't be part of the run. Yeah. Like I'm still at the point that like there's some rocks I know off the back of my hand that I can get up super quick, but there's um, a bunch of rocks that it's like, you got to know the route. And it's, it's funny because like once you're on the rock, if you're on the route, um, it feels really good and it's easy. But then if you're on the wrong route, you look like a foot to your left and that's where you're supposed to be, but you can't get there because like, oh. the it's really messed up. <laughs> yeah. It's like a slick. So, um, yeah. I think eventually like it could be really good for training just depending what your goals are. Like I love, um, just being in the mountains and, um, um, I was supposed to do a bunch of sky races. There's some technical terrain this year. So like that would have been great training for that. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, races aren't really happening right now. <laughs> so another just for fun. Is this, yeah, but it's mainly, it's, it's for fun and yeah. Uh, it's just what I love doing. And the sky races, they would have a scramble sometimes, right? Uh, not- yeah. Yeah. Like, Sometimes, like, it really depends on the sky race. Like, there's some iconic ones, um, like Trofeo Kima, um, Glencoe Skyline, uh, Trumzo Sky Race. Like, those, it's like you're on pretty gnarly terrain that um, you could argue that it's scrambling. Um, so, it's just good to get as comfortable as possible on that terrain because the worst is, like, when you're just really tired on terrain that you're not comfortable on at all. And that's just like asking for um, uh, just bad things to happen. <laughs> yeah. And in the middle of a competition like that, if you don't know how to handle something, like even like you said, if you're on the wrong path and you, at least you know that you can navigate your way through it. But if you have no experience, that would not be a fun race to be in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. But the more, um, so like skyrunning has a big spectrum. Like you have like the super technical races, which are the ones that I named. And then you have other ones that are less technical, but they're just really steep on like, like big bear terrain, I'd say, um, or, or like similar terrain to, to Tahoe. Um, so they're, they're just like essentially like mountain running races, just like really steep mountain running races. And then I guess skyrunning is just a really cool name. Yeah, it's a really cool name. Yeah. And yeah. that's what is the, uh, and there, but they have to fall into like categories, right? Like not, not every race that is on a mountain can be a sky race. Doesn't it have to be a certain elevation and like a certain grade or something? Or how does that work? Yeah. So, um, they have like this, uh, they have like their little rules there that it has to like cover a certain amount of elevation gain and a certain distance. So like, for example, like the VK, I guess is the, easiest to explain a vk is a vertical kilometer so you climb a thousand meters in um less than 5k so that's pretty much thousand meters is about 3200 feet so you got that's that's one of the events in sky races it's i guess their short course it's just like all out uphill effort in um yeah where you cover like over 3000 feet in less than 5k that's super steep um So, but then they have the longer races too, which they have like ultra sky races and, or sky marathons, whatever they call it. And those have like all sorts of wonky rules. Like it's got to hit at least this altitude or it's got to have this much elevation gain in um, a certain amount of distance. Um, 
yeah, I'm not too well rounded in their rules. Um, but <laughs> you just know it's a sky race because it says so. It's like okay, I'll go. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But generally, like I guess the biggest difference between uh, I guess what makes sky running sky running is just like the really technical terrain. Um, it's definitely more technical than like a lot of the U.S. mountain races. I'd say. And it seems like a way to maintain a level of like elite ability on something like that is because you can't just create a sky race. It has to be on a specific mountain uh, to hit these qualifications. So it's like, it just keeps it at like this very hard yeah. mountain race. So you can't just yeah, run up to every any mountain and be like, Hey, here's a sky, here's a sky race here. And, the Poconos, but, but like you can't because it doesn't meet those, that criteria. So it's, it's yeah. just like a, 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 a snobby mountain race. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty good um, name for it. Uh, or way to describe it. It's snobby mountain race. Um, <laughs> but then I don't know, to me, they're all mountain races and they're all, they're all as hard as you make them. Um, because yeah, I mean, yeah. There's road that, races that go up mountains that um, scare me a lot more than um, like a technical mountain run. <laughs> yeah. And that's like when people get all upset about like an obstacle course race, not having obstacles that are hard enough. It's like, well, the race is whatever you want it to be. Like you can put yourself in any position in any effort yeah. to make it really freaking hard. I mean, if you push hard enough, anything's going to be really hard. Um, so I guess it's what the person is just looking for. And their yeah. weekend adventure. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, well, cool, man. Uh, I had a couple of questions, but uh, we got on that that Sky Race one, so maybe we'll double back later. But uh, tell uh, tell the people a little bit more about who you are and what you, what you got going on as an athlete and as a coach here in OCR. Yeah. Um, so my name is Johnny. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I do Spartan races and, well, I guess OCR, but mainly Spartan races in the past couple of years and uh, mountain running. This year, I had the whole Spartan Race series planned and the Skyrunner, most of the Skyrunner series, uh, and possibly OCR World Champs, but don't think any of those are really going to happen. Um, not, not looking great. And outside of uh, training myself, uh, I coach people. Uh, I work with Ian Hosek. He's my coach, and I'm also a coach under Hosek Performance Engineering. HosekPE.com. Uh, what, what was that? HosikPE.com, check it out. Yeah, HosikPE.com. Um, and yeah, that's, um, that's where cool, I'm man. right now. <laughs> for sure. And yeah, I want to dive in more about some of your specific training and your accomplishments for the people that might not be too familiar with you. I mean, you had um, a couple breakout performances last year at the National Series, taking home a couple of W's, which is awesome. But I also saw you just ran a really cool FKT. Was that over this past weekend? Yeah, it was this past, what day is it? It was this past Thursday um in boulder so i ran the boulder skyline traverse so in boulder we have five is it five yeah we have five peaks that like just are right next to town you like you can see them from town uh and you essentially just got to run the route from either direction but you got to tag each peak along the way and the route is 17 miles and around 5600 feet of climbing yeah. What's the and where and so the elevation is then what like how high do you get? Yeah, so Boulder sits about at about five thousand four hundred feet, and the highest peak 
just right outside of Boulder is just under 9,000, I want to say, or like 8.5 type thing. Oh, that might be wrong. I don't know. So um, pretty yeah, about 9,000 feet, like between 8.5 and 9. Um, yeah. And with so the the this FKT it stands for fastest known time. It's it's seemingly like a whole different world, and people kind of know who each other are within this as a different aspect of running where it's not necessarily racing because it's on your own, right? So you went out yeah. there and just and just hit a uh, which would essentially be like a Strava segment, but more like official, right? And yeah. and, and yeah. a little bit gnarlier typically, right? Yeah. So like I guess. What makes an FKT an FKT is that it's got to be like a pretty well-known route, um, just and it, it's got to be uh, well-trafficked. So I guess that's the biggest difference between an FKT and Strava segments. Um, like Strava segments, a lot of times, like people just make them, and there's like 50 people that live in a town, and that's the Strava segment. Um, but then the FKTs, like they generally like them to be just a lot more well trafficked. Like, I don't know, people that come to Boulder, like if they're a trail runner, they generally want to run the Skyline Traverse. Um, but I don't know, there's so much debate around that. Um, if you guys really want to go into detail with it, I really recommend um, DMing Nicole Miracle. She's a real stickler about this. Um, what, is she giving you grief? <laughs> no, she's just giving people grief in the past. Uh, I just think it's funny. But uh, yeah, just like bombard her DMs. Um, <laughs> she's out there police, police and FKT. <laughs> yeah, she's the FKT police. She knows it all. Uh, yeah. And and so it did, it does sound like it's a little bit more like prestigious, right? It's like, okay, it, people know what this, what this, um, what would you say it was called again? The Boulder Skyline? Yeah, the Boulder Skyline. People know it. I don't know it. I've never run it. But um, yeah, I mean, yes. like, I guess every um, area has their, um, has their prestige like the northeast has like some huge like legit traverses that i, I honestly don't know them but um they're just like really beefy routes in the area like colorado has a ton that i just don't know about but um so like i guess it's kind of like a niche thing like every region has their own like big cool routes um mm-hmm. so to say yeah, I just I actually was on the website today looking at it because I've never really been on it. Um, and I noticed like the the trail system we have here in Philadelphia, there someone mapped out like all the points that it would touch, and like that's like an FKT now. And I'm looking at it like, oh shit, that's like right around the corner. Like that would be really cool because people know what those trails are. And I'd imagine it would be the same thing in any general geographic area. So like, what what do you feel like is the main appeal to that? I mean, a ton of runners have touched that trail, so like you run it faster than anybody. Is it, is it, is it an accomplishment thing on for just your own type of goals or is it like cool to like, see how you're stacking up against anybody who's gone after this? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, um, I think it's a little bit of, a little bit of everything, you know, like I, I personally just went out to test myself and see where I was at because like, I'd never really run the, the that particular route hard or like, uh, fkt effort so to say um just because it's different than racing because you're out there alone um but yeah i mean a lot of people totally do it to see how they stack up with the people in their community or um depending on the fkt like around the world uh and other people yeah just do it to test themselves and see where they're at but for me the biggest i was really just curious to see how i would do um 
on the Boulder Skyline Traverse because like I know the trails well um, and uh, it's just like one of those iconic routes that if you live in Boulder and you're, you're a trail runner, you should definitely give it a try. And it's like a cool, um, for me, like it's a cool baseline test. So like over the years, I can just like go run it again and see like how much faster I can do it um, compared to myself. Um, yeah. For sure. And it is all, now it's like on record for that and it could always be revisited. And it's got to be cool to say like, yeah, I've, no one's run this faster than me on this awesome trail. And uh, yeah. when you're prepared, when you're preparing for something like this, because that's what I was thinking when I was looking at this one that's near me. I was like, I know all these trails. I've been on them all in a different respect. I've never run it all at once. Is there a process in terms of like scouting? Or did you know what this, if you've done it enough times that you knew exactly where to go and what would count? Or like how, yeah, like if I was to go do this 21 mile trail run that I, that I just found, should I go and just try to do it? Or should I go in, in like set different times to try to I scout guess- it out? What I did um, is like I ran the the skyline traverse in a long run, um, and then okay, I was like, okay, I can cover this amount of distance at a relatively easy effort. Um, easy in air quotes because like when you're running for three hours, it just gets like, <laughs> at eight thousand feet. It's, it doesn't sound. You, easy. <laughs> you, you just gotta. You end up having to like at the beginning, you're like yeah la 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 la, and then towards the end, you're like ooh, I kind of got focused. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, like I went out there on a long run and I ran it in like three hours and 10 minutes. And then like, I kind of like, there's just a bunch of people going for it, like running it hard. And then I was like, kind of like, just like, I kind of dissected it, you know, like there's like the first climb and then there's like a giant middle saddle that you got to cross. Um, and then there's like one tiny climb at the end again. So then I just dissected that and like kind of ballparked where I would at each time like uh yeah where, where i would be uh, at running at a hardish effort so i'd say like yeah just definitely study the route you're gonna do um and like i mean it's right in your backyard so you have, like if you know the trails even better um because the worst thing is like you're super tired and you take a wrong turn and then you don't notice until five minutes later and you're like uh that's what yeah. I'd be worried about is getting so. lost. Yeah. yeah. Worse than even like having a strategy. I would hate to go out there and run for 25 miles and just have like a wasted FKT yeah. attempt and then a wasted yeah. week of training. Um, did you point your training toward this once, once, you know, things are, we're canceled uh, until September yeah, at least. Yeah. So, so like at first, like I was like, I was more, I was just going to do a really hard effort, like a hard uphill effort. It was going to be like a hard, like around 30 minutes, just like out of one of the local mountains. Um, just cause in training, I just don't ever get to do like a hard, hard effort. Like I do a lot, I do a lot of threshold work, but that's different than like just going balls to the wall for 30 minutes. Um, so I was like, okay, yeah. Like, um, I lack experience in pushing myself really hard. So let's do this like 30 minute, um, climb about 30 minutes um but then like i just saw a bunch of people going for the boulder skyline and then i was like oh this route's so cool like one of the reasons i really like the boulder skyline is because you spend a lot of time running downhill which mm-hmm. makes it unique like yeah you go from really steep downhill to really gradual downhill and then you climb a bunch and then you go really steep to just like consistent downhill again um so i was like uh, and i was like oh it'd just be awesome to run that hard and then uh yeah 
essentially just opted on doing that hard. And then, yeah, I, I did rest up a bit for it. Um, I took a couple easy days before it. Uh, so it was like, yeah, I'd say it was like comparable to preparing for a race, but it's different in racing in the way that you're running alone. So like in a race, you naturally take it out much harder or you're able to just like push a little harder the whole time because mm-hmm. of the adrenaline and just like you just feel the pressure of people chasing you or like you chasing people. And like in the middle of this thing, I was like running uphill and then I would just like notice my heart rate drop. I was like, oh, it's not supposed to drop. <laughs> or like while I was running downhill, like I, I just like feel my heart rate drop and I'd be like, whew, okay, time to focus, Johnny. Um, and yeah. Yeah, like you just get lost when you're by yourself on a long run. It's, it still took you, what, two and a half hours or so? Two twenty yeah, something? 2.46, something like that. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, it's, a long, like my, it's a long time to be out there. Yeah, that was my first time running um, like just like a trail race for that long. Trail race, kind of, it's just like a longer FKT on my own. Um, like I've raced OCR races, Spartan races that have been upwards of three hours, um, but never... Um, something in the trails so like i was kind of i was new to the pacing and just like how aggressively you could potentially run it um so i think that's another thing that makes fkts really unique is that you got to know yourself really well as an athlete and um just over a variety of distances because like the pacing just changes when you're completely alone and like it's a different mind game um to keep yourself motivated and pushing hard were you prepared for that lapse in focus or is, or did that happen during like a downhill? Like, oh no. And like, I need to regroup or was that something that you knew was going, that could potentially happen and you had a plan for? Uh, no, I actually didn't think of that at all. So it kind of caught me off guard. Um, but it's like, I, I was using my just heart rate as a guide for how hard I was actually working. Mm. So then like when I would see it drop, I'd be like, Oh, time to keep going. Uh But I didn't, I didn't really see that coming. So one thing like that, I ran into like some sticking points, I guess, in the FKT were that my transitions were kind of slow. So like, there's some like really technical peaks that you got to like scramble up, scramble back down. It's like, I don't know, maybe like a hundred, like there's like a 50 foot scramble, 50 to hundred foot, like two of those. And then like, I'll just like, kind of like be like hopping from rock to rock and then, stop on top to fuel and then i just like hop on back down so like (laughs) stuff like that could be a lot faster because you kind of just like lose that race intensity um, if that makes sense and when you're running at that type of effort and there's any reason to slow down you're it's going to be hard to not take it you know like like oh i'm gonna refuel here Um, right but what i found interesting was that like early on in that type of effort like it doesn't feel hard because like you take it out. Um, I don't know. I took it out much more like in an OCR race, you kind of just like go with the leaders and you just like hold on regardless of how long the race is. It's like, um, <laughs> and, and yeah, but like here you're like, huh, uh, I don't actually need to take it out that freaking hard. <laughs> so then you like, you take it out and you're like, Oh, this feels really good. And then you kind of just hold on. And then like the last 30 minutes are kind of, um, crappy and just wait for it. Yeah, yeah be- essentially. So I thought that was interesting. That was quite different. Than and that could actually shine some light on that. Cause that's, that's what I've always had a struggle with in obstacle course racing is that 
it does go out so hard. And then it's just, you end up just holding on for dear life where if it was a longer race, say it was like a two hour road race. Like you wouldn't just go with the leaders. Like you would know what your pace was and you would run your own race, but in OCR, you just kind of have to hit it. <laughs> You're just kind of at the mercy of it. Yeah, um, definitely. Do, um, do you think that would help like your strategy now? Like do you like, or is, do you think that's necessary in obstacle course racing to just to, to hit it hard from the jump or is there a place yeah. for pacing? I think there's definitely a place for pacing, um, but it's like OCR is more like you just have like external factors. It's like trail running. I could, um, you can really just bank off your strengths um, if you're like a really strong runner and just like trust that. But like an OCR, you kind of got to stay in contention because like if you're like, let's say you're not very strong at carrying things uh like bucket carry or sandbag carry and if you're like carrying that completely alone and you're trying to win the race and you're like trying to chase the leaders but they're out of sight i think that's not ideal so in ocr Mm. it could be more advantageous to go out hard um with leaders and then just make your move whenever like you hit like terrain that suits you um just because like the like maintaining intensity through obstacles is super important especially in ocr and like you can just lose so much time when you're lackadaisical. Um, so I think it's important to go out with the leaders um, to a degree. You know, if it's if we're looking at like an ultra, then yeah, like pace. <laughs> but if it's like a super distance type thing, then go out with the leaders, work, build off of like work with their intensity and make your move. Um, that's like if you have the fitness to to hang. Um, right because if you don't like you'll it'll show but yeah if you do you might get lost because because it's a good point when you say that if you get to an obstacle by yourself say you're by yourself in fifth you still are are in that mode of like trying to conserve like there's no reason to push to catch the person in front because you can't see them and you just don't want to mess anything up um and it's a different mindset then so you do want to kind of be be with the people (laughs) um yeah but that was kind of what you did do at Big Bear, right? That was one of the the breakout races during the national season series that you yeah. had when you, when you did win. But you wouldn't, you weren't banging at the front from the jump of things. And like, is that kind of what you mean by like just being around and just having a, a, a like giving yourself a shot when when you know it's there? Yeah, definitely. So like, in, um, I guess like I'm pretty new to new in air quotes again uh to spartan racing like like i don't have nearly as many races under my belt as like vj or ryan kempson um so like one thing like the troubles i ran into last year were early in the season like i just wasn't starting fast enough and then i get to the finish line and be like oh race is over and i'm not (laughs) super tired (laughs) um so then like going to seattle like it was a little better i ended up finishing fourth there um like i started faster um and then big bear like i saw the elevation profile and i saw the steepness of the hills and like just like when you spend time in the mountains you kind of know how long surf like a like a route will take you um so then like i had a good i had a ballpark idea of like it would take um around two hours so then i just kind of uh took it out hard with everyone but um, kind of banked on like my strengths. So that was a little different in the way that like I knew that the terrain would suit me. Um, banked on that. Yeah. And like you'd be, be, 
since then in, in Utah and even in Seattle, I remember that race. I was with you early because I was super aggressive. I'm usually aggressive at the beginning for that reason. And like you stormed past me down like the one of the downhills in the beginning that aren't wasn't that long or steep. And I was like, oh, my God, like I didn't I need to really step my game up when it when it comes to these downhills. But and then when I look at your the FKT effort that just have because you had that you, you posted your Strava on there and it looks like there were some downhill sections that were what like 30 or 40 minutes or so on that yeah the the first one the first downhill section was like i guess significant downhill section was honestly 11 minutes um and then the second one was 30 minutes and then the third downhill section was around 11 minutes again how (laughs) 30 minutes going down um how do you prepare for something like that or in the moment when you're running those downhills, are you trying to um, rely on your strengths as an athlete or is there a certain focus element that plays into the mental part of, of your approach that you are consistently reminding yourself to like attack the downhill because that's so long, even 11 minutes is a long ass time to go down. Yeah. Yeah. So like, what what is it with would you say that's more of your uh, a byproduct of your uh, your training or is there something mental when it comes to hammering the downhill for for a long time um it's definitely both you know um so yeah it's definitely a byproduct of training like i train in the mountains a lot um so you just hit like down long downhills in your training but like there's definitely a mental component that you got to keep yourself accountable because it's so easy to lose intensity on downhills. Like a lot of people, when they'll go out for, I don't know, in races, like they'll run up uphill really hard, but then on downhill, like their heart rate will just drop to like one, I don't know, one Oh five. Just jog down. You know? Just walking backwards. Like, I don't know why I can't keep up. It's like, uh, you, you're racing. You got to keep like a even intensity throughout the whole thing. Like obviously, uh, keeping like their strengths and weaknesses in mind, you know, you don't want to run like something so recklessly that you just fall. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, it's definitely a combination of just like how you train and the mental side of things. Like if you have the skill set, then definitely like inject mental intensity into your downhills and it'll, it'll work. Like you'll run them a lot faster and then practice them in training as well. If like you have the, um, soft tissue tolerance, um, to handle the pounding. Um, and yeah, you'll definitely see the benefits in either racing or FKTing. Yeah. That's a thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's a a thing now with no races. That's all we got. Um, so what are some ways to keep, like you mentioned staying accountable and then you drop like uh, heart rate stuff right there. Like where's a way to, to, to keep yourself accountable on that? Because it's easy for someone who might not have the experience in going down or, or might be afraid of falling because, that shit is scary. Like yeah. what, it, like how would you recommend someone keep themselves accountable for actually attacking a downhill and training or like a race? Yeah. I mean, step one is definitely just expose yourself, like get on to ter- like terrain that's similar to your race terrain, like, um, and like similar type of downhills. If you have access to them, like just exposing yourself to it will make you so much more comfortable, like pushing harder. And then once you're like, once you're, more comfortable there uh definitely there's a couple ways um you can just like keep yourself accountable mentally and be like oh this feels really easy let me push a little more um it totally depends on the training session you know whether it's a long run or like a tempo run type thing um or you can use heart rate which is what i do a lot in my like in my long runs and tempo runs 
like I make sure my heart rate is at like at a certain above a certain number on downhills and then that just helps develop skill um, and uh, makes you naturally uh, attack them easier and then come race day you've already trained it so it the only thing you've got to do is open the floodgates and go so when the heart rate because that that that's an awesome way to go about it, right? You have the heart rate, you know, the data, you know what you're capable of. And then when you just look and and see where it's at, you should know you should be able to run X amount of pace or whatever. Have you found with downhill training, like where does that heart rate at like a hard race effort kind of put you in training? Would that be what your heart rate would be on a typical tempo run? Or is it kind of the same across all efforts? Like is your heart rate the same going up as it is going down? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's what I aim for. Um, yeah, it's the same. That's the, that's what I aim for. Like whether it's a long run or a tempo run. So, um, we, so like I have my heart rate zones. Um, I don't know. They're anywhere like 145 to like just under 160 type thing. And then I just try to keep my heart rate above 145 on the downhills, which can be like, and I like doing that because it forces you to expand your, um, skill set when it gets really technical it just pushes you to because when it gets really technical like you got people just have a tendency to slow down but then having that heart rate accountability is just like okay i need to push a tiny bit harder and like especially um for example my heart rate zone that's like 145 to 160 that's like my that's like what i'll touch like what i'll work in in long runs um it's not like it's like it's very comfortable um intensity so it, it gives you like enough I guess, wiggle room mentally that you can still, um, that you can still breathe. You know, it's not like a, it's not like you're running at threshold. And I think it's really important to do like most of your run, like a lot of your downhill running at like an intensity that you can like actually think and feel it and feel how you're moving because that's how you develop good habits and learn how to absorb impacts smoothly. And it makes sense because people either want to hit it really hard going downhill whenever they have a shot. Like if they're just out on a regular training run and they have a, a, a crack at a downhill, they'll just take it. Um, or they will go slower. Like you said, it'll just like back all the way off and let the heart rate come all the way down. So do you plan in your training accordingly to have different, um, different efforts at different, um, paces on your downhill so you can get an idea of how it feels? Yeah, definitely. So like for, I mean, like the days that I really target downhill training are like on tempo run days. I do that like a couple times a month or on interval days. I'll do that. I don't know. Once a month, sometimes it's, it's tough. Um, and then long runs, just every long run, I generally run them with purpose. Um, so that I'm, I'm still developing, but you really kind of got to be selective because if you do it every single week like if you do up down tempos every single week or and like running your long runs long run downhills with purpose like it your body takes a beating um which uh you just so you just got to really time it right um if that makes sense like what i'm trying to say is that you can't go into every single run um trying to keep like your heart rate pretty dang pretty high like on downhills because like as like that stress will catch up to you so i say like 
yes, like you got to time it well, like once a week or once every two weeks, depending who you are, um, or twice a week, depending who you are. Um, it can, it, it can yield some great benefits, but you got to time it well with recovery and all that stuff. And when you are scheduling in something like downhill intervals, um, or, um, downhill tempo, downhill with purpose, and like you are like laying out your, your week or, or the athletes who you coach like a week or month, um, what kind of recovery does it, do you typically expect from that? Because like if I'm hitting like intervals or something just on flats, but at like, you know, a VO two max pace, like I know I need probably two days to get my shit together. (laughs) Like how long does it, like how long do you, do you find in your own or in some, like an athlete who you're, who's just starting out? Well, it really depends where you are in your, um, where you are in your training. So like early in the year when like during the winter, like I focus mainly on flat running, um, and just like to really just get that, just get good at running essentially. Um, and then you got, at some point you got to introduce the mountain stuff and it's kind of like a trial by fire because like the first time you do like a up down tempo run or like interval work, you're going to get super sore. Um, so you got to either like plan that in early in your training block, uh, when you're not carrying a lot of stress or fatigue in the body, um, Hmm. or like late in the training block before a recovery week. Um, that's your best bet. And like, that's how you're going to get out of it with the least amount of, um, long-term damage like definitely like if it's your first time doing it definitely expect some serious soreness like till like this year i think i was sore for like a good week and a half after my first hard up down effort um but now like for example i just did this fkt last week and i wasn't very sore um just like some minor um stabilize stabilizer soreness instead of like your quads just exploding just ripped to Um, pieces yeah 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 so yeah, timing it early in the training block or late in the training block before a down week is is really good. Um, and but I'd say definitely go on the conservative side. Like if you're really really new to it, take a day or two or three days off after just like um, just because it is it is a lot of impact. Um, the impact force is much higher than just running flat or uphill because um, you have gravity pushing down on you at a slope and your stride length sometimes is a lot longer, which will equate to just like a lot more eccentric, um, loading. And with, um, do you, when, and when you're measuring volume and intensity that way, are you going time-based with, uh, say it's just like downhill in particular, why don't we stick with this? Would you be like accumulate 10 minutes of interval work, down or 10 or or would it just be do yeah six miles on a hilly course yeah i mean it totally depends like where you are like i said like if you're new to it then i'd probably just start literally with like one minute intervals for like four minutes total but like really fast you know like i track all my volume um through time and my athletes volume through time um and each of them are in different stages of life um as a and and different stages in their running career. Um, so it really like, if you're really just starting it, like I would just say, just get in the mountains, get used to running up and down and don't even really don't dabble with high speeds on downhills yet. But like, if you've already, if you're like more seasoned, like you've done a couple of mountain races and you're, um, at a good place with your body, then you can definitely start dabbling with it. Like you can do, I don't know, a workout that I'll do for, 
couple of my athletes, like if they have a tempo run, they'll be like 10 minutes up, three minutes down, um, and then rest type thing. And then repeat that. Um, you obviously need a really big hill. Um, but like for myself, um, like with something Ian will program in for me is like 30 minutes up and then down, um, down the whole mountain type thing and then rest and then 30 minutes up and then I don't know. It totally depends how, how much volume I have on a given day and what we're trying to target because intervals are different than tempo runs because intervals are just generally a lot faster. And then I'd say for downhill intervals, uh, try to keep it low volume, lower volume, like under three minutes, just because you're really going to be pushing close to a really fast race pace, um, which I don't think, and tapping into that too often in a training block isn't the greatest thing for um, for uh, sustainability in that given training block, if that makes sense. Right, and like if you're doing three-minute intervals, even if you're doing four of them, like that's still yeah. 12, 12 minutes at as hard yeah. of an effort as possible, right? Which Yeah, yeah, so like I wouldn't – I like something I – I personally, I'd rather do like two minutes up and then one minute down type thing. Um, I wouldn't, I don't see too much value in going just three minutes downhill really, really hard. Um, That's ripping. What was that? That's like ripping. That's like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't see too much value in that just because the recovery out of that will just be really, it's just, it's just, it'll just take long to recover from it. And I don't think it's worth putting yourself in that big of a hole. You're better off just getting more volume in the mountains in a way that's sustainable. And do you build that up the same way as well for, you know, some of the athletes that you coach or for yourself when it, you're tracking everything by time, but is there an elevation tracking component as well? Or is it just go in the um, mountains, spend yeah, 50 minutes? Yeah. No. So like, so one thing, yeah, generally in the winter, uh, it totally depends where these people live. Like I have some, like I have an athlete, he lives in uh, Northern California and he just has access to like a 3000 foot mat- mountain year round. Um, so um, uh, <laughs> yeah, but like, let's say someone lives uh, somewhere that it, it gets snow in the winter. So they're like pretty much bound to flatland running and then, um, or they just, or they're new to running and they haven't run much at all. So like, I'd like, I'd, start both athletes like okay like first let's do a block like flat and then have a block that kind of it's like hilly like you have um like i guess medium length climbs and then medium length short to medium length climbs and then um the third block you can um introduce like some more mountainous stuff uh just because like that you got to just be really gradual with your changes in stress uh because it's that it's the different, it's like the drastic changes in stress that people run into trouble with. Like, for example, like you can take a well-seasoned roadrunner, like who has like just a ton of marathons under his belt, but, or her belt. But if you put them in the mountains um, and they're putting in like the same amount of volume as they are on the roads, the likelihood of them finding, like getting some sort of soft tissue injury um, or even bone is, I'd say is, pretty high just because the angles the stress are coming in are very different and they're just not used to absorbing that type of impact and they're just like tendons and 
ligaments aren't used to being loaded in those angles as well. So that's why like you just got to introduce stress slowly over the course of months and like especially changes in stress. Um, you kind of just got to like sprinkle it in wh- rather than just doing the trial by fire. Um, and that's and, definitely the way to go about it for and myself can, and people I coach and just like anyone really. Yeah, no, I can uh, testify to that. Like I did the, that exact thing. I can handle a, a shitload of volume when it comes to being on the roads or um, just in general life. And then I tried to do that into some mountain training last year after I got crushed at a couple of mountain races and I got hurt <laughs> and I just like yeah. was a complete mess after that. Just put myself in this huge hole, just trying to catch up essentially where, um, I didn't really give myself a chance to just, um, let myself adapt. I tried to force it and that doesn't always, uh, work out very well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's like, it's amazing what the body can do if you just give it the, the the volume the incremental volume increase uh well i guess the like the slow build rather than the super jagged build um the slow build and plenty of rest during that build um is important and your body just can handle a lot so so speaking of that in in terms of you know like last year that's some of the weaknesses that i was trying to work on was trying to get better at the hills and the mountains um, but in your case, like, what are some of the things that you've been working on, um, outside of that for o- OCR that you can give yourself that slow build, build in? Uh, so you mean like off school? What are you, what, yeah. What are you working on? Like, yeah. What, uh, what's, what are some of the weaknesses um, you have and how you kind of dosing that I mean, in your training? Yeah. I mean, like, uh, I got my, uh, yeah, I, I had a, how do I say this? Uh, <laughs> I, I just. Like I got creamed on the obstacles in Jacksonville. Like I had the, the the speed to keep up, but like those guys just like outdid me on obstacles in every way possible. So like uh, after that race, I decided I was going to work on just obstacles and get proficient at them and just increase my confidence. So then uh, the way I was layering it in was just like in my I was I I generally do two days of strength a week. So then one of those days of strength was going to be obstacle specific. Just get really good at just cycling through monkey bars, different types of rigs, turquoise, turquoise, just get really smooth. Um, but then obviously same concept applies. Start with low volume and increase slowly. Um, just because I don't know, it just be really annoying to get like some sort of like elbow tendonitis or shoulder injury from just doing way too much too fast. Um, so I guess that's like how how I was working on my obstacles, and then uh, I was also integrating carries, and I did it in the same way, um, just lower volume um, and just getting the and slowly increasing the volume with time. Uh, but now at this point, since we're in COVID, <laughs> I really haven't been working on obstacles and I've just been uh, just working on my mountain running and just scrambling and just getting in the mountains, really. Um, because I just don't know when we're going to do a Spartan race again. I'm interested to see, like, yeah. that same deal. Like, yeah, I was, I was going to a rock climbing gym and I was going to other gyms, just doing a whole bunch of stuff to work on obstacles. Yeah. And uh, I haven't done any of that now. <laughs> I wonder yeah. if, like, everyone's going to come back and just be terrible at obstacles when we get back. It's going to be like, 2015 where people are just missing all, all the stuff <laughs> like yeah the, the one person who's clean wins the race <laughs> yeah uh-huh. i don't know we'll see it'll be interesting um but yeah i mean that's the that was like i was 
that was the approach I was taking. And then I was looking forward to Seattle to see, um, well, I was actually going to actually, uh, whoa, that was a really bad sentence. <laughs> I, I was, I had also planned some training races. I was going to go out to Vegas and uh, I think Texas just to get, um, that, that fast obstacle transition experience in my, under my belt. Um, but yeah, that's all under, uh, that's all in the past now. <laughs> and when you're, and when you were going to do that, like in the gym, like, do you just have access to monkey bars or, and you're just doing it at a yeah, high work so, rate or. Uh, yeah. So there's this gym, uh, nearby, uh, it's called fit F O C R. Um, they're out of, uh, I forgot the name of the city, but they're near Boulder. They're like 20 minutes away. Um, so then they, I was using their facility. They have pretty much every obstacle. Um, and the way I was doing it, I was, um, so the biggest, uh, my biggest struggle during the race was just like hopping on the obstacle really fast. So then I guess I chose first, I would do like a bunch of slower reps, just to get really proficient at the obstacle. And then I'd like get like three obstacles and then just like do like two or three rounds on them as fast as possible. So like monkey bars into Hercules into like a multi-rig type thing just to get really fluent and like confident onto just like hopping obstacles without thinking about it. Mm. Um, yeah. What do you consider the limiter there? Like, is it a strength thing? Is it technique? Is it confidence? Like what kind of, like, what do you attribute? Like, uh, Jackson it, it was strictly a confidence thing. Um, it's funny because when I first started OCR, I was like really good at obstacles. Um, but I wasn't very good at running. <laughs> but now I just focus a ton on running and uh yeah just I guess cardio cuz I'm on the bike a lot. Um and uh I guess just like my obstacle confidence just isn't as high as it uh as it could be. Um I wouldn't say I'm bad at obstacles but it's just different when um I just didn't want to make any stupid mistakes. Um so I guess it's part of it's just letting go and just like really just going for it, you know. Yeah, because I mean, if you're going to miss an obstacle, like you can't really exhibit the fitness that you've been working on. So it's like, well, yeah. I've been doing all this work and I get in shape. And like you said, like you're not bad at obstacles, but like if you're in a race and there's four people ahead of you in the world and they're better than you at obstacles, like you might be better than the rest of the world, but you still need to work on those weaknesses to get to be the best. Yeah, um, definitely. I think like part of the issue is just like, getting in the pits and getting my hands dirty and just like going to just a bunch of races and like practice racing um and just getting really proficient at stuff like that and just embracing the whole process as it comes yeah and there's definitely an element of experience that plays in with obstacle course racing that you just really can't get around like yeah. so it's hard to come into it even if you have all the tools and do well because of the things that you're mentioning it's like just knowing how people go in and out of things and like the little tricks that, that come up and how to handle different obstacles in different weather and then different places in the race it's just like you need to kind of do it which kind of sucks but yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean i think that's why nicole miracle was so successful last season it's because, like, she did, like, I don't know. She just did a ton of races early in the year. So then when the big races came around, she didn't even have to think about the obstacles. Uh, yeah. But and she just, like, accumulated a lot of experience. I mean, Ryan Kempson and VJ are great examples of that. They have so many races under their belt. Um, so come obstacle time, they just blow right through it. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's like anything. So you got to slowly build on it and, and get that focus down. It's kind of like what you're saying for the downhills, like, ha- like keeping yourself honest, keeping yourself accountable, because that's what I found. Like I'm, I'm in the same boat where if I come up to something and I, and like, I just kind of stall out because I don't want to screw it up as opposed to running the race just to, to move through it. So I'm not, it's harder to hold yourself accountable to something like that. And, um, and how do you do that in training? You just go after it. Like, if I suck at this, I suck at this and it's no big deal. I mean, it really depends. Like, um, if it's like a obstacle thing, that's like a generally like a, if you suck an obstacle, it's a it's a technique thing. So you just got to work through it slowly and really get those uh, neuromuscular patterns down. But like, um, if it's like a running thing, you really you got to look into it more. Like, um, because running is just it's it's one of those things that takes so long to progress um so like if you're just like bad at flats you really just gotta hit your flat running from all angles um but yeah i mean if i'm not great at something i don't i generally dissect it and try to approach it from all angles Hmm. Yeah. And then, and finding the access to do something and just figuring out how to do it. Like, like you have, you're like, all right, I need to get to a gym. I have the OCR gym and then like Boulder is just so great for flat running and mountain running. Um, we have access to, you know, get like a five mile climb if you really wanted it, but then you have like, you can run like a flat marathon on farm roads. Um, if you wanted to as well. (laughs) So yeah, jealous every day. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, well, and and one thing I did want to kind of touch on with you a little bit as as well as like you know the physical component of training. You know, it seems like you are systematic with it, and you you are you have a certain sense of humility to go after your weaknesses and to work on them and to and to build them up to that they become your strengths. Like you said, with your running, you just weren't there. Now, like you you run with anybody, um, but to get to the level of like where you are now, um, there has to be some sort of mental component with that comes along with that. And how have you, is, has the physical work that you've put into, you know, take care of your weaknesses? Has that just led you to a, a stronger mental game or is there anything that you've, you've done to facilitate uh, the jump from, you know, mid pack guy, uh, like, you know, high end mid pack guy to the, like the top. Yeah. I mean, dang. Uh, I guess like I I kind of like approached there's a while back that I just decided like I like I really like Spartan races and mountain running and I want to be great at it you know um but like I kept just running into like a ton of roadblocks like just like injuries left and right so then I was like what the heck is going on like I'm 22 years old and I keep getting like a quad strains, Achilles tendonitis, blah, blah, blah. Like this is not normal. (laughs) So then I guess that when like I was super fed up with that, I kind of like zoomed out and I was like, what am I doing wrong? Um, like why can't I not train the way I want to? Um, and I guess that was like my first moment of like true honesty with myself. And like, there was just like all these like, um, no, I, I don't want to call them flaws in training, but like, it just, like the, I just didn't have a system in place that really worked for me. And I just wasn't being honest with myself, you know, like uh, I was doing like all sorts of like 
rookie mistakes that I just didn't want to embrace because my ego was just in the way. Hmm. Um, so then I guess that was, that was big for me to just be like, okay, Johnny, like you are not made out of carbon fiber. Um, (laughs) so like you gotta like work from the bottom up, you know? So then like I got a good running coach, um, a great running coach. And then I got a great, um, I guess, strength and mobility balance coach. And then I also did, I also was just honest with myself, you know, like whether like if something was really stressful in my life, um, which makes a huge difference in your training, you know, just how much stress is in your current life. Like I approach that and figure out how to make it less stressful and like just taking care of my mental health, you know, meditating, journaling um, type stuff and just having conversations with the people around me. Um, I, like, it's hard to pinpoint, like, one thing that helped me get to, like, I guess, I'm not sure the word you used, but I guess that helped me get from, um, where I was then to where I am now. It was just a huge process and, like, a lot of injuries and a lot of mistakes. And it was being able to look from above, look at the mistakes and, like, the red flags that popped up and I ignored and, um, learning from those, you know, and also, like, looking at what the, great athletes around me were doing um and learning from them as well but around me i mean like um just like the best mountain runners and the best obstacle race athletes and trying to learn from them as much as possible and trusting uh people that were smarter than me and just have more experience than me and that's something that we that i hear a lot when i talk to people and when they when i'm trying to examine their goals and and get to the bottom of things they just want to be like the everybody has that thought they want to be the best that they could be they want to put everything in there but there is always that there is always something that they're not willing to put aside um and how did you kind of do that zoom out practice and like was it just something that did you just decide that on your own or did somebody like hey like what's actually going on here like are you doing everything you can or how Um, did that how that spark it (laughs) yeah so um when i was 19 years old uh broke my shin <laughs> now i got a really bad stress fracture and then i just kept like i was like 19 i might have been 18 but like at the time i played soccer i broke my shin um and then uh i just kept playing on it playing on it and then it turned into like this non-healing break in my shin and then it just took a while to heal and then like once it healed i started training for spartan races and then i rebroke it and i just kept running on it for like a year and then I had to take a year and a half off. So then that year and a half, it really gave me a lot of time to think and figure out how I want to approach training. Um, but even when I got back, I was I still kept running into like a bunch of roadblocks. And um, it was just like one soft tissue injury after the other. And then it got to the point that I was just... I was like, I was pretty, I was just desperate. So then I like gave, um, some coaches a call and I was like, look, this is what's going on. Like, and this is, this is what I want to accomplish. Can you help me? Like, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Um, and they said, yes. (laughs) And I was, um, I was, I was just open to learn from them, I guess. Um, that was, really big for me i guess like it was just the trial by fire with all the injuries i had that that made me look at things from above 
Um, and it's like, I was just really fed up. I was like, I can't do the things I really want to do. Um, and I don't understand why. And I guess that was a huge red flag, like not understanding why I couldn't run, um, not understanding why I kept getting these soft tissue injuries. Um, that was, I guess, what sparked me to slow down and look from above and see what I could improve. Yeah. And you mentioned before, like the ego kind of getting in your way and you just really just push that aside. It's like, okay, if I'm going to do this, like I know there's people out there who can help me. I just need to ask them <laughs> just need to go out and yeah. put that yeah, put the ego aside even more. Yeah. It's, it's tough. Cause like, I mean, like, I mean, I'm still pretty young, <laughs> um, but when I was younger, like I'd see, um, just go on YouTube and watch like a bunch of videos of like, people doing really cool things in the mountains and like I try to replicate that but my body just wasn't ready for it like I like I'd been like training soccer really intensely from the time I was like 12 like I'd be putting in two to three hours a day of training whether it was with the ball or fitness and I guess my that that just strained my body a lot and it needed a really big reset and I just couldn't see it at the time mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I guess my ego just wanted to do all these things that looked awesome. And I just kept running myself repeatedly into the ground and I just didn't understand why. And I felt sorry for myself, but then it got to the point that I was like, okay, Johnny, time to be a big boy and um, <laughs> do what you got to do if you want to do this stuff. So then like, it's funny because when I started working with Ian again um, last year, at the beginning of last, I forgot, like what year is it? 2020, end of 2018. I called him. I was like, look, dude, keep getting injured. I don't know what's going on. Like, let's build me from the ground up. So we literally started with two hours of running per week and some cycling and just slowly like stacked, uh, slowly built like a, a solid foundation, you know? Um, and I guess what my body needed was just like lots of time to adapt to the stress. And like, now I can run, um, I can run a lot more, um, pain free, thankfully, um, and get results that I, I like. And I'm able to <laughs> play in the mountains uh, pretty much as much as I want. Um, so it's, it took a lot of time, but it was definitely worth it for me. Nice, man. Yeah. And like that has to be an, uh, it's a good lesson to learn and to have been able to do that and kind of set the ego aside. So if you get into those, hit those like kind of glass ceilings again, it's a practice you could just kind of put back in place. It's like, okay, like, yeah, let me definitely. zoom out again. Yeah. Figure out what's really going on here. Yeah. And it's cool because as those things happen, like you gain experience and then when a red flag pops up, you're like, Ooh, I've seen this flag in the past before, or like a similar f flag. And like, you just catch on to these patterns. And then like, as long as you're humble enough to like, accept that you're, that's where your body is and that's what your body needs. You can go really far and, just push yourself. Um, I guess that's why you see athletes like Ryan Atkins that are, can just like put in so much freaking volume and have it be sustainable because like when something hurts, um, he tapers down and just does what he needs to do. At least that's what, what I like to think he does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, but that's a good lesson to like, to even just, even if you are just making it up <laughs> to think about because people will push through. And I know I've definitely done it. You'll just get to a point where it's like, Oh, I built all this fitness. If I taper down now, am I going to lose this fitness? And you just start to go in that circular thinking and you're just like, well, I got to push forward. I got to push through this. Maybe it'll get better. And then 
you just get shut down. Um, yeah. So, it, and, and not doing the things like tapering it down when you need to, or when it would be beneficial for you to do so. Yeah. And like, a like, a um, another thing that just really helped was getting the adequate protein intake. Um, it's just, I don't know for like a while, I guess I wasn't taking in enough protein and it wasn't really presenting itself in any crazy, um, injuries like, uh, but like this, I think last year I'd say like, I just noticed that my recovery just, it got to the point that I just wasn't recovering as well as I would have liked. Like I kept getting like small little tweaks here and there on my soft tissue. And like this year uh, I just increased my protein intake all around. And, um, those small tweaks that were, were present last year aren't there, but also like over a year of training, you're just tendons and ligaments they get much stronger so it might be that a little bit of that as well um yeah yeah well the protein definitely doesn't hurt and and if if no one's ever t- examined how much protein they're actually taking in they probably don't know and you can sustain off of a fairly low amount of protein but yeah, if you're putting exactly. in work you need to make sure you are hitting hitting some numbers well how much are how much do you try to track now or to just try to put in as much protein as possible um I I don't try to track it like with an eagle eye. Um, it's just not how I like to function. <laughs> um, but like if I had to guess, I get anywhere between 140 and 150 grams per day. Um, that's I'd say most days a week I can hit that. There's just some days that like um, I I don't know. It just doesn't happen. Um, but like I definitely make sure to get the calories in. Um, I don't track those either, but uh. I, I make sure to have like four or five like full meals and then a couple snacks. Yeah. And you can, after a while, like if you're paying attention, you can intuitively kind of feel when you are like nourished <laughs> to, for lack of better terms. Like if you, if you know what it feels like to be hungry and you know what it feels like to sustain your training, like you can kind of tell um, yeah. just if you are just paying attention. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. It's like, one thing talking about being hungry and not hungry it's like a lot of times like in endurance training like you're just putting in like a lot of volume and like you'll eat but like you're still at a calorie deficit and one thing that i found that really makes a difference for me is like when i'm cross training like i spend a lot of time on the bike um a week like is to get in enough water and calories on the bike like yeah don't just take in like a gel like take in a peanut butter jelly sandwich or like a full sweet mm. potato or like I don't know, like I have a rule for every hour I'm on the bike, I'm taking in, um, one cliff bar, um, hmm. type thing. So like, so it's like 250, 250 calories an hour or so. Yeah. Sometimes more, sometimes it'll be like 400 calories in an hour, like depending wow. on how much volume I'm riding. Um, but like, I don't do it to fuel the bike ride. I fuel, I do it to fuel my run that's tomorrow or after tomorrow or to fuel my training two weeks from then. Um, that makes a huge difference for me, just, um, soft tissue. And there's like, it keeps my, um, brain functioning. <laughs> Dude, that's a great point. And then like, I, there is, I, I think there's some research that shows that, you know, if you're eating during, like it helps your recovery from the next day. And that really does make such a big difference. Like if you're in a calorie deficit and you try to do back-to-back hard efforts or go long and then try to run the next day, like you are just beat. But if you're eating, like it helped for me, I think it's the best way to recover uh, like over anything else. I think the cat, like the calories and carbohydrates that you take in, I mean, aside from sleep, you can't not sleep, but aside from that, I think nutrition is the way to go. 
Yeah, definitely. I agree. Um, and it's, it's weird. Like I talk to like a lot of endurance athletes. Um, I just have a lot more um, experience than I do. Uh, like we're like, these are like pro trail runners and like, they just don't believe in like fueling during the runs. And I'm like, what are you doing? Or like during the really long bike rides. And I'm like, why, why? It's like, I don't understand if it's like a pride thing or what's going on there. That's but old like, school, man. That really is. It's like old, so school old school. And I'm like, there's so much research around this stuff. It's like, why don't you just embrace it? And like, you'll feel so much better. Like, just try. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why wouldn't you just try? Like, and like, if you could eat more food, like, why wouldn't you? Like, you should just want to do that. <laughs> I think that that is, yeah. it's more, it's more fun to eat more food. It's like, I understand if you don't want to take in gels and stuff, it's just like, just eat something that feels, that tastes good. You know? It's yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. But, that's I, I just found that interesting. It's just an interesting mindset, but it is what it is. For sure. Um, Laura, dude, I want to take up your whole day. I do appreciate you popping on. Lots of awesome stuff here. The great takeaways. So where can people uh, find you on like social or, or if they want to reach out? Yeah. Um, I say Instagram's the best way to reach out to me. Um, at Johnny Luna Lima. Got your um, full name on, on Instagram. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's definitely the way to go. Um, yeah, just DM me there or comment on a picture and I'll get back to you. Uh, oh, dude, what was what is the sugar baby thing? Oh, that thing? I don't know. It's some some old dude just dropped a comment. There was two of them. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Another dude said something too. And I, I like and I like clicked into them. I was like, who are these people? And they're like creepy people. <laughs> yeah, creepy people. I was like, damn. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, should I ask Johnny about this? Or is this some weird world that he's in? Or should I just leave this off the table? <laughs> some, some old guy got drunk and started commenting on your thing. Like, oh man. Nah, I was flattered. I was flattered. I'm like, it's not my style, but hey, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, now every so they're probably sugar. Yeah, you probably have sugar daddies gonna be tuned in. They're gonna be you're like on a hashtag or somehow get the sugar daddy hashtag on all your yeah. posts and they're hitting you up now gonna be like a target yeah i mean we'll see i mean yeah but maybe that could be that maybe funny. that could be that mountain trip that expedition trip that we talked about before you can oh yeah t- t- take your sugar daddy with you <laughs> yeah he'll pay for me <laughs> <laughs> just keep just keep the fkts coming and the instagram post coming and you'll get that trip yeah <laughs> definitely oh. <laughs> um well cool dude yeah i'll make sure to link to everything on on social so people know where to find you and uh well this is a sign off appreciate you popping on yeah man let me know if you go for that fkt in your backyard that sounds fun you should definitely I do hope it. <laughs> yeah i mean it's nothing else to do yeah but yeah thanks for having me um it was fun cool man i'll talk to you guys later all right peace